You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. This is another live episode recorded at Bob and Misbehaves Bookshop at the Edinburgh Fringe 2014, where we were very lucky to be joined by the brilliant Phil Jupitus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. No, no, thank um, you very much. This is a very high stool it for is. a large man. Uh, I think you'll... Uh, you're Are we going to do a lounge set? You're quite graceful, though, Phil. One, I'm sure you'll be fine. Two birds. <laughs> no, that, 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 I just cost him 15p. So, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what will happen throughout the show is it will get incredibly hot in here. So Hurrah! just feel free to divest I, yourself. I'll just you tell how hot it's getting by how much I'm wearing. Racy, a racy beginning to the show. Phil, you were saying, um, just where we walked in there, and in the manner of these things, we, we, we went, oh, we'll talk about this on the show, and stopped talking about it. But yeah. you said, what, that you're, it's funny to be enjoying your career so much. Yeah. You, what was it? What, what did you, you say? I thought that I'd get, as I got, oh, I'm 52, and I thought that I'd get jaded with it and bored of it, especially when you are on... Uh, a team. Here's the thing, right? So I did Buzzcocks. I agreed to do Buzzcocks when um, so that started in 1996, um, and this is now 2014. It will not die. <laughs> you know how you get a cat, and you get a cat, and you think, oh, it'd be nice. It'll live 12 years, and when it's 16, you start to get a bit for fuck's sake, and it like limps and it shits badly, and it's. That, that. Buzzcocks is the cat that won't die. Um, but, that, but I'm very affectionate about it. That's the other cat analogy, is I love it. Um, and uh, you're, you're presumably so entrenched. You're such a... You've done every episode but one, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that yeah. you can... Like, I sort of feel like if, uh, if I had a comic on the show who was... Like, I've talked to people in the past who are on Mock the Week. Yeah. None of them are prepared to say that it's a thing that won't die or remotely be seen to slag it off. Yeah. Presumably, you're such a part of the fabric of it, well, you can say the, what you I want to I don't think it. it's slagging it off. It's just, it's just one of those... I'm, I'm surprised that it's still going. But then when you think about it, I think the, the reason that Buzzcocks is a success is the maths of it. Now, of all those panel games, it was always the one that at the time when it evolved was there was, uh, they think it's all over, have I got news for you and us. We, we were sort of the three panel games. 
And then once Dave and um, UK Gold got going, they wanted to start doing their own panel games. Channel 4 tried panel games. There was a, do you remember there was a science fiction panel game with Greg Proops and Bill oh, Bailey? Oh, yeah. Uh, one series. There was a Chris Miles panel game with some... One series. All these, these formats that people tried that didn't work. Busc I think the reason that Buzzcocks has endured is maths, because there are three people you see every week... And there are four new people. It's constantly, it's constantly, you're seeing new faces all the time, but more new faces than the, than the regulars. And so it's quite egalitarian, Buzzcocks, which is weird for a show that, that people feels can be spiteful, but it's very difficult to explain the dynamic of panel games because we record for uh, the quickest one we've ever did of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, was uh, one hour and 25 minutes, and that was Sir Terry Wogan hosting. There were no retakes. That man is like a <laughs> greased eel. <laughs> that man is television through and through. That man is one of only three Tories I admire. My mum, my dad, Terry. That's <laughs> it. So... I'd, I'd like to talk a bit more about Buzzcocks yeah, in a minute yeah. and about yeah, sort of we'll about the technical, on, but, but yeah, the technical but process. But so you were I saying... think we're talking about how I, I, I enjoy the job now, more now, basically. And it's, it's the fact that there are things... There's, there's, a, there's just... You, you kind of, there's a pervasive view of comedy that it's, it's just all these needy young men in tight jeans and T-shirts, you know, talking about rape and relationships and... Uh, it's very easy to be swamped by that view. Um, but then the brilliant women that are around doing it now, you know, uh, Josie, Bridget, Pasco, Deborah Francis, White, you know, there's just, there's just, that's just the four off the top of my head. And there are so, so many more great, you know, um, um, you know, Nadia Camille, there's just, just, just so many more women doing it and it's, it's brilliant. Uh, the thing is changing, ACMS... ACMS basically gave me such a kick up the arse as a thing to do. That's the Alternative Comedy Memorial yeah, Society, yeah. which yeah. is a, a gig which is kind of intended to, uh, yeah. to get comics to do things they'd yeah. never do before and to celebrate failure and accidents. I think so, like yeah. It's just, it's just a, it's like a willfully bad gig. You know, whereas you know, Malcolm Hardy at Up the Creek would get an act on and go, oh, might be shit, as he introduced them. That, as he went on stage... Got a new act coming on out, don't know him, might be shit. That's the first time you go on stage and the bloke introducing you says that. That's the beginning of your career. And if you can make it through that, you can make it through anything. Whereas ACMS sort of celebrates that, that, that let's try something that might be shit. And indeed, the other night, I fulfilled that prediction. <laughs> Myself what were you doing? and Marcus was... Brigstock dressed as um, uh, a, Bolivian, uh, a Bolivian council. We, we've got this thing we do where, where we pretend to be... Um, we, we, went, we did that dangerous roads thing and we went to Bolivia, right? And we, we were by uh, the Salar de Duayuni, which is the salt lake in the middle of Bolivia, which is one of the only things that um, Buzz Aldrin could see on the earth when he looked up at the earth, was this white dot in the middle of South America. He went, what the fuck's that? Is it snowing somewhere? And it was a salt lake that is 80 miles across. And so me and Brigstock, we... When we were there, we were at Salar de Wayuni and we were in this little village waiting to do some filming. And they were having a meeting. There's some villagers. 
and they're over there, and we were watching them, and we started voicing their meeting, and it was like, well, um, uh, hello, Clive, you have a question <laughs> regarding condors. Absolutely. I feel that the council is not doing enough vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the condor situation. I have lost four llamas in the last... Right. Fuck, look at this. We did an ACRS the other night to a fucking tumbleweed that wasn't even in context. If I, I'd like to just... I, I'll just if I can... If I, hang on, I'm just going to search here, because I'd like to actually... The text that we send each other, and I said, we did this act, it died on its fucking hole, and then, and then I said, we should have just read the texts out. That would have been more fun. So, hang on, where is he? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've gone the wrong way. I've gone too far. Brig. Marcus Brig. So I've got... I've got oodles of text from him, and you have to look for a long one. Here we go. Load more messages. Load earlier messages. You're doing a. You're clearly trained in radio, Phil, because you're you're doing a really good job of doing something visual whilst describing what it I'm, is I'm to sorry, avoid I'm dead air. My, I'm filing through my phone, uh, but uh, here we go. Let's find a. We, it's, as, as once I find a really long because we've sent each other these unbelievable. Here we go. I'll read. I'll read one of mine. Now, this, this better work. This, right. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. This, uh, this is a Bolivian council meeting statement. Now, Alan has raised the issue of selling the mineral rights to China, which, if I may speak frankly, is typical Alan. <laughs> this chamber prides itself on discussing matters of import to this community, focusing on the big three of llamas, salt and the ever-present threat of condors. <laughs> Alan, as we know, intends to stand for the council next year on a platform of a fair deal for local communities in the lithium sell-off. <laughs> well, la-dee-da, Alan. <laughs> when an enormous condor swoops down and tears a baby llama away from the still-lactating, if slightly salty teat of its <laughs> weeping buck-toothed mother, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? No, Alan. One, that was a film. Two, unlike ghosts, condors are all too real. Ask Helen. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, fuck it, well, I should have read that out. So, so we did the Bolivian council at ACMS and died the other night. But, but in, the last, in the last few years, there's a couple of things that have changed. I, so I came up to Edinburgh. I hadn't done it in ages. Um, uh, the thing that stopped me doing stand-up was... Uh, I took the gig at Six Music in mm -hmm. 2002. I became the breakfast DJ for uh, BBC Six Music. And that was getting up at f uh, half three, four in the morning and uh, doing a seven till uh, ten o'clock show every day. It was one of the favourite gigs I've ever had, but it definitely meant that uh, uh, live gigging was sort of kicked in the balls. The only live gigging I did for the five years I was with Six Music was the Comedy Store Players, who continued. And improv was, was easy for me and fun and buzzcock. So I was only doing telly and only doing improv. And so the stand-up stand gland definitely atrophied uh, in that period. And can we, just to, just to put you in the context of, of who you were as a stand-up yeah. before you stopped, mm. you started in... When, when did you start? What year did you start? Well, um, do, you, do you want as a stand-up or as a performer? Uh, start with the performer and okay. we'll find our way through okay, it. OK, so in... Uh, it was August uh, the 17th, 1983. <laughs> I went on a, a pub in Notting Hill Gate and read out two poems 
and that was my first gig. What I, and I what could, had led what had led you well, to I'd, I'd been, to wanting to do poems? Oh, in a so pub? so what happened was was I uh, earlier that year um, in in the in the eighties there was um, in the wake of John Cooper Clark there was a movement of poets called the Ranters, and they uh, ranting poetry was basically everybody who wasn't John Cooper Clark pretending to be John Cooper Clark. <laughs> That's disingenuous. It's not quite right. It was just a new movement of poets who were getting a little bit kind of fed up with the fact. I mean, Clarkie was out on his own. I'd seen him in uh, 1981 supporting Susie and the Banshees at Chelmsford Odeon. And that was a real kind of wake-up call to kind of be in a room and watch one man on his own holding an audience. And it was a fucking great gig because the Banshees were headlining and their support acts were Clarkie and an animated cartoon of Ubu Roi by Alfred Jarry. That was a gig. And that was, like, I remember watching this thinking this... And they showed a 15-minute cartoon and then a bloke from Manchester came on telling Bernard Manning gags and doing uh, uh, poems about cycle slots. You know, it was, it was just unbelievable. And... Um, and what, what did it mean to you? Who were you watching that at I the was, time? Uh, at the time, you know, I was just a kid. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I was a civil servant. I spent five years as a, a job centre clerk for the civil service from 1980, July 1980, until the 8th of March 1985 <laughs> uh, was the day that I re resigned. Uh, and then three days later, I did my first gig with Billy Bragg on the Jobs and Industry Tour. Um, and so, so sorry, when, when you poet. saw the John Cooper Clark and yeah, the Susie gig, was, that was before was, your working life before, or during? That was during... Uh, hang on, I'm trying to think. So, 79, uh, I was working at Tesco's in Wines and Spirits. So and I was were still you, at Sixth Form College. Were, Sixth Form College. Were you yeah. a frustrated performer at no, Sixth Form College? No. You had no connection no, to it at all. No, I was a cartoonist. I was a cartoonist. I drew. Okay. I loved drawing. I, I, I'd, um, the first, I kind of, if I'd had a kind of fantasy dream, it was to be uh, a cartoonist, definitely. Okay. Um, I, I read comics, consumed comics, loved comics. Was had a, had a sort of visual flair, <laughs> and um, I um, that was how I got into the poetry. Was I was doing cartoons okay. for fanzines, okay. and then a, a chap um, um, sort of got me to do regular cartoons for his fanzine. And then a, a poet called Attila the Stockbroker saw those cartoons yes. and asked me if I could illustrate his book. That's how I met the Ranters. Gotcha. Um, but the thing is, is the very first, the first time I, I went to a gig that was called the Ranters Cup Final of a venue called the B2 Studios in Wapping in 1983, and there were about 30 poets on the bill. And I had never performed in any way in my life, and I knew I was better than half of them. And I'd never been on stage. That's a fairly common trope of stand-ups, yeah. I think, and, and street yeah. performers as well, in that often you're thinking about, maybe I should get up and do it, and then you see someone do badly, and yeah. you think, oh, it's fuck It's not even that, that they're doing badly, so much as I knew that I could come up with stuff better. It's, you, th you hear them saying that, and I'm like, that's a bit weak. Yeah. If, you're, if you're doing editorial, if you're noting someone while you sit there in your head, then you've got a better idea of how to do what they do. You know, it's a really odd thing when, you, when you're disembodied. It's like you have that thing with stand-ups. When you're watching a stand-up, do you ever have that, where you're watching someone do their act? You can think of jokes, better jokes. Yeah, they yes, do that, you yeah, go, yeah. no, you should do this, you should do yeah. that. When we used to do the store, I always remember, um, I was always giving people, John Mann used to give me some great little jokes, you know. Um, uh, uh, I remember Alistair McGowan doing Jules Holland. 
at me. Alistair McGowan doing, he, he went, he went he, he, I'm, I'm working on, on Jules Holland at the moment. And I went, oh yeah, man, do it at me. And he, he, I went, hello, hello, this is Jules Holland there. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome, welcome to Late Night with Jules Holland. I went, no, 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 no. Um, Holland uh, enunciates his T's very precisely. And, and Alistair went, hello, welcome to Later with Jules Holland. And he went, fuck, you're right. <laughs> And Jules doesn't use glottal stops. He's very, he's very precise with that. So it, we were always, we were always sort of helping each other and doing. I mean, Joe Brand had a gag that she was doing. She was on it. She did uh, the Cliffs Pavilion in South End. Um, uh, I, I live there, and so whenever mates are gigging in town, we always go and see them. And she was doing a gig, and she was like, um, she was talking about marathon runners and women running around. <laughs> this, so these women are running, you know, fucking tripping over themselves, looking like idiots. And so, yes, you know. The blokes are just fucking blokes. And, um, and I just, I did this gag where I said what you should talk about is, uh, she was talking about a woman's labia being so long that uh, she was stepping on them, and, and then, then that, that was the gag. And I said, she should be wearing spikes. <laughs> there you go. And that, and she went, thanks for that, dupe. So I used it on the rest of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, um, so, yeah, yeah. So that original, you were, you were doing, you were doing cartoons. Yeah, yeah I was you a cartoonist. You didn't have any desire no, to kind of stand none, up and get none. it. So when you saw the, so the I used to write stuff. poetry for myself. I just wrote okay. it for myself, and then I had some poems in the folder that I kept me drawings in. So when I went to see Attila, he was doing this gig in the Portobello Road, okay. and he was looking at my uh, cartoons. I'd done some rough sketches for him. And in the back of the folder was, was two poems. And he went, and he looked at them, and he went, and he just looked at me, and he went, you're doing these tonight? And I went, what? He went, get on stage and do them. I went, I don't want to do them. He went, yeah, it'll be a laugh, just do it. And I thought, oh, all right. And, uh, and, he, and he introduced me. And, and, and I had to think of the name that night. And, 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 I, and my, my um, cartoon name for the drawings was Porky. I sounded all the cartoons Porky. And I went, Porky the Poet. Okay. Just call me Porky the Poet, and that was it. That was the night Porky the Poet was born. And I performed two poems. I'll do one for you now. Do you want to do the first thing I've... Yeah. Right. Okay, uh, this, uh, this is the first thing I ever performed on stage, and it's called uh, They've All Grown Up in the Beano. They've all grown up in the Beano. Dennis the Menace has got pubic hair. Biffo is well into anarchy now. He's more of a punk than a bear. Lord Snooty is a high court judge taking bribes through a Zurich bank. Had a run-in with the inland revenue when he sold Bunkerton Castle to some yanks. Grandpa is at last six foot under. Roger the Dodgers in the SPG, now dodging charges for murder. But Lord Snooty will help him, you'll see. The three bears are on racks in Harrods because Hank, he shot them at last. And Teacher was thrown out of Bass Street for being too pissed in class. Minnie the Minx is a feminist now in London, North West 3. PC Plod rang Beano Town Council. Now the Bass Street dogs are in Battersea. Bull Boy changed his name to Rent Boy. Piccadilly was where he wound up, but Beano Town United, they're doing fine without him in the European Cup. Babyface Finlayson's in South America with seven million quid in used bills. And the nibblers, they nibble no more because Porky called in rent to kill. Billy Wiz eventually ran out of sulphate. Now he works for the DHSS and our hero, Ugly Plug. Changed his name to Gary Bushel and got a job with the popular press. <laughs> Little Plum is a Redskin campaigner. Bass Street Kids are on YTS. Softy Waters, a Lyceum bouncer. And Nash has been sent to the vets. They've all grown up in the Beano. What are we going to do? Now they've all grown up in the Beano, just like me and you.
So, yeah. So, 80s. 80s. The SPG. <laughs> the fucking SPG. Can I ask, is that word for word the poem that, as yeah. it existed on that night? Um, uh, no, because the original version said, uh, uh, and our hero, Ugly Plug, changed his name to uh, uh, Paul Morley, it used okay. to be. And then, I'm, uh, and then it changed his name to Paul Morley, and then Bushel became... I, I suddenly realised Bushel was a dick, and Morley... <laughs> and Morley was a thinker, so... Um, okay. I, I'm, I'm, that's, I never met Bushel, but he, he fucked the selector over quite badly. If you want to know how much of a dick Bushel is, talk to Pauline from the selector. So there's just... I don't know if that'll pick up on the, uh, on the mic, but there's a couple of people in the back of the room going, yeah, which is good. <laughs> well, the they, record must, show they, know the, they must know but, the story. So, he went on tour with them and he fucked them over. He did, you, remember, you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, we'll stick with the, the work so, at the moment. Yes. Um, so... How did it go? What was the reaction on the night? Were you scared? Did you have any nerves um, of doing it? Or did you kind it of sounds no, like you just went, because all right, I, it was just, it was like, I, oh, oh, the blokes asked me to read these out. Sorry about this. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Porky the Poet. I've got two poems for you. They're the only two I've got, so I better read them out. <laughs> and that was it. I just read them out. Okay. And that was it. I'd, and I had three mates uh, with me uh, my mate Gary, my mate Liz, and my mate Lorraine were with me, and that's the first ever performance that I did. Okay. And coming off, did you, like, it was successful? Did you, did you get rounds of applause? Did you get yeah, laughs? Yeah, no, people clapped and, 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 you and laughs, yeah. And it was just, I don't know, it was just like, there was no thought, now the future is laid out for me. And there was no, I'd just sure. done it. And then, and I just wrote more. And then uh, Gary that had come to see me, his mate was the social secretary at the University of uh, uh, Sussex. And Gary uh, um, phoned me up and he went, have you got any more poems? And I went, yeah, I've got about, I've got about eight now. And he went, cool, I, I, I can get you a gig supporting the Piranhas. <laughs> OK. Who were a punk band from Brighton. And so my first ever paid gig was uh, April the 27th. That was 1984 at the Crypt at the University of Sussex, opening for the Piranhas. And were your were your poems all funny? Um, no, no, there was there was political ones. Uh, okay. Quite, because it was th it was the time of Thatcher, and so there was this interesting thing. Um, uh, so um, so yeah, they weren't. There was there was some quite sort of trenchant political stuff. A lot about um, nuclear war was a genuine concern in the eighties, and it seems weird now. But it seemed like a real threat. Um, so I was with CND. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it still is, you're quite right. Yeah, but it, uh, then it felt somehow more tangible than now. Uh, whereas now it's, it's a threat in a different way, which is with people making their own, because how to make them is online. <laughs> <laughs> Google how to make a nuclear bomb. Boom. So, um, yeah. So, so you're. So what I'm trying to get at, I suppose, is, is mm. the moment when you changed from being a poet into being a stand-up comic. Right, that was you, a very, you, very different thing. You, that you was approached a long it there, yeah. not from the perspective of someone who had to go out and get laughs, no. but from the perspective of someone who wanted to say things that they wanted to say. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, uh, it was... Right, what, the way that that happened, the transition, was I'd been Porky the Poet for a couple of years, from, uh, started in 83... Uh, left the civil service in 85 and went out on the road with Billy. This weird thing that I went from being a job centre clerk 
and doing a few sort of halting poetry gigs around the country to doing 1,500-seater venues with Billy Bragg opening for him. Right. Because I met Billy and he took me out on the road with him. We had a lot in common. We're both from Barking. I didn't realise he'd had such an influence. I knew you had worked with him and stuff. Billy, I remember remember, um, I was visiting my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, when she was at uni in in Bognor, Regis, and um, uh, I phoned home and my mum said... uh, Someone called Billy has phoned you and wants you to call him. And I went and gave you the number. I went, that's, that's Braggy. And so I phoned him. And he went, and he went, uh, he went, all right, Porky. I'm like, hey, Bill, you know Listen, Porky, I'm doing a tour. Do you, do you want to come out on a row with me? And, and, my, and I went, great, I'll quit my job. And he went, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> don't do that. And I went, no, no, Bill, Bill, it's all right, really. I've just been looking for the right thing. And so he was fucking terrified that he'd just taken all security away from me with one showbiz gesture. And it was 10 gigs. It wasn't going to make me... And make did, you, me. did you quit the job? I did, yeah. I gave me notice in my last... Yeah, March the 8th, 1985. And, and the, the, the date... that It's weird, because the date I met him was the 8th of March, 1984, <laughs> was the date I met Billy. And the eight of, uh, exactly a year later, I quit my job. So this is Phil... What a lovely bloke, and he's just done so much stuff. We barely scratched the surface of his oeuvre, um, but I'm very grateful to him coming along. I love the Porky the Poet show that I saw, uh, and his own stand-up show at the stand was brilliant as well. So uh, loads of great stuff from Phil here, uh, and lots of... He's very unusual, very unlike a lot of uh, guests that I've uh, interviewed in the past, just purely by dint of his incredible background and, and just the the massive volume of, of cultural projects he's involved with alongside... Uh, his stand-up. So I'm recording this on the very final weekend of The Fringe. Uh, Apologies for lateness. This was supposed to be with you two days ago. I didn't manage it. It's all my fault. Uh, I've seen some incredible stuff, though, uh, and it's all... That's good for us in the long run, isn't it? If I keep you waiting for an extra two days while I run around seeing stuff that then feeds into the show later. So I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not, you hear me? Uh, I'll try and do a roundup of what's transferring to London or touring after the Fringe uh, and keep you posted in the next couple of weeks. Thanks to everybody for your donations. You can stop sending me two quid now. It was very kind of you. It really helped me through some sticky patches. Um, two different people came up and just put two quid in my hand, which was hilarious. So thanks very much for that. Uh, I'm going to need a bit of time to regroup post-festival, uh, decompress, have a huge kind of mental crash, I'm sure, around about Wednesday next week and then drag myself up out of it. Um, But the plan is to start prioritising the podcast a bit more from October. I should still be uh, releasing episodes every week until then, so you won't miss out. Um, But I'm going to make some changes in how I focus on the show. I think it's uh, it's been really, really exciting uh, seeing the effect that the show has had on you guys. And I've I've met a lot more of you this year than I did last time. So um, uh, it's really, really so encouraging to uh, to hear the various uh, outpourings of love that you have for the show and feedback on the show and things like that. So thank you to everyone that's come up and said hi. Uh, it's really useful to meet you all. And uh, and it's really meant that I'm going to attack this whole podcast thing with even more vigour. I, I, that's a word, isn't it? I don't know what it means. But I'm going to find out what it means and then attack it with that uh, from October. Uh, so just sort of recovery time till then. Uh, as well as the live shows, uh, I managed to sneak in some recordings with Eleanor Tiernan and Steen Raskopoulos here as well. Um, barely an hour before Steen got nominated for Newcomer, actually. Called it. So we've got those to come out soon, as well as episodes with Josie Long, 
Bridget Christie, both of those absolutely fantastic. And an episode with Phil Kay that is so beautiful and archetypal and quintessential that I might well save it up to release as episode 100. So let's get back to the brilliant Phil Jupiter. <laughs> So when you were doing, when you were performing in massive venues suddenly with a bunch of poems that you, mm. that you weren't used to anything like that nope. size, yeah. were you altering what you were doing to, to make it appropriate to that size or were you just kind no, of quite blasé going, I'd here seen, it is? I'd seen Cooper Clark. The only, the only kind of point of reference was Clarkey, who right. just stood there and read them out from a book. And so I just stood there and read them out. I had a folder and I just read them out and that was it. Because so, sometimes you, 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 you would... I remember the first time I ever had heckling was in uh, Liverpool at the Royal Court Theatre. And I've got a brilliant leaflet from that gig, which says, uh, it says, uh, um, it's, it says uh, the eighth, uh, it's the 8th of March, um, um, Billy Brank plus the Sid Presley experience and Porky the Poet. And also on that leaflet are The Smiths, um, uh, The Alarm, uh, um, The Fall, <laughs> The Stranglers, the Boomtown Rats. It's just like oh this God. little sort of... It's like... And I'm on a leaflet with all these bands and I found a copy the other day and I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> look, look who you are on a leaflet with. <laughs> given, given that you're so... Given that you then went on to do loads of yeah. improv and comedy and we'll, yeah. we'll look at that more in a moment. But when you were performing to massive venues just reading them out, were yeah. you doing kind of ad-libs? Was there the beginnings yeah. of the well, Phil Jupiter we know as a comedian? Here's what happened. So I did, I did Paul Keaton. So, so what the, 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 the short version is, is that I, I supported Billy, and so I'm doing 2,000 seat venues. And what happens is, is when you finish, you think you're at that level. And so I just, like, I just like would phone people and go, hello, it's me. Kind of a big deal. I'm Phil <laughs> Jupiter's. Porky the poet here. I wondered if... And they, they're like, Who? And they didn't know what I was. And so what happened was, it was like, and then bang, massive reality check. Yeah. And I quit my job. I, had, um, I got my pension money back from the civil service. So I had a grand to last me the year okay. to get me through that year, which I sucked up fairly quickly. Um, um, Billy Bragg, the Bragg gigs, I got 50 quid a show. Um, my mate Joe, who now uh, is... Uh, he was Addison Cresswell's business partner, now okay. runs off the curb. Joe okay. used to hold a Casio on stage for me as part of the Porky the Poet Act. So, okay. And we were Billy Bragg fans. And within a year of being Billy Bragg fans, we were on tour with him. So it was, like, <laughs> kind of sweet. Because <laughs> we were just losers from fucking Stanford Lee Oak. It was me and Joe with that Casio keyboard. It, wouldn't, it would be over 20 years until Stanford Lee Oak produced two people with electronic gear... <laughs> which is Dan Lasek and Scrooby's Pig, <laughs> <laughs> who got out of Stanley Hope, did good work. <laughs> but before that, it was me and Joe with a Casio, just like, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm free-associating massively. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, right. so, we, so I, did, I was doing Porky, and then I did a gig at Leeds University with a brilliant band called Surfing Dave and the Absent Legends, who were an amazing sort of surf rockabilly band. Uh, and... Um, and also in the crowd was James Brown, who was the former enemy journalist, who was a mate of mine at the time. I knew James from when he was the, uh, from, from when he was the editor of uh, the fanzine from Bradford, Attack on Bazag. And uh, before he was with the enemy. Uh, and that night I was gigging in Leeds, and James' dad lived in Leeds, and I stayed with James. 
at his house because his dad was away and we, we sat up. And after the gig, I was at James, in James's kitchen, we were drinking cider. James loved cider. Uh, weird. If you think how his proclivities escalated in the loaded years, sitting drinking cider seems like a very kind of Miss Marple sort of thing to do with James Brown from Loaded. But um, when he was James Brown from Attack on Bazag, uh, we were sat in his kitchen and he went, you do realise what you're saying between the poems is funnier than the poems, don't okay. you? OK, OK. And he was a big fan of Eric Bogosian, James. He loved it. Yes, OK. He was just starting to get into stand-up and that, and that idea, and Ted Chippington. So, mm-hmm. so um, in the music scene, stand-up was quite... Was, was, a, was a separate entity, and there was Chippington and Eric Bogosian. And uh, James said, the chat is funnier than the poems. And that was when I first countenanced it as an idea. Had you really not even noticed before then that no, you were getting I hadn't, laughs no. in between? I was just doing it and it was just fun to chat, you know, and I was very okay. relaxed with it, you know. Um, and it was, it was sort of fun to do. And do, you, do you have any idea of why you were so relaxed, so comfortable in massive no, rooms? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It's, it's, I, um, it's an odd thing, you know. Yeah, people, it seems very strange because someone is, who didn't have a burning desire Because it is one of the form. great fears, isn't it? Speaking mm. in public is up there with arachnophobia and, you know, flying. Mm. But it is. Some people who say the idea of standing in front of a room full of people will just make them lose their shit completely. So did you ever, were there ever moments where you'd ad-lib something, it wouldn't get a laugh, and you'd, you'd have, like, an emotional reaction to it going, oh, Christ, I might have... No, the, 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 it's odd. It's the, the, the bad gigs, I remember... The bad gigs, the, the bad things that happened at bad gigs were always externally bad. So, like, I did a benefit for Militant in Liverpool and they got me up to do uh, these shows and I compared three shows at the Neptune Theatre in Liverpool and bands like The Farm were on and um, I can't remember the names of any of the bloody groups. But there was a bit a three-day festival of, of of it was when the Liverpool City Council was really under attack from the Thatcher government, and they were having these gigs to kind of just rally feeling in the city. And it's you know, you know, it's odd. It was really Liverpool is a is a anyone that knows Liverpool, it's a separate entity. It's a country within the UK. It's 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 its own thing, Liverpool, and it considers itself separate, and it genuinely does. And so, you know, when people fuck with Liverpool, they, get, they rally. They fucking really, they, they gather. And for some reason, they got me up to compare this weekend as Porky the Poet. And I went mm-hmm. up. Uh, the High Five, that was the band. Phil from the High Five got me up to compare this weekend. And uh, three gigs, three nights. And they paid me my coach fare to come up. And I did the gigs for them. And I was staying at... My mate Frank was a, a radiologist at Liverpool Royal Infirmary. And I was staying at Fra- on Frank's sofa. And I was doing these gigs at night. And then after the last gig, it was really good. We had, there was a party and everything. And I went, I went oh, it's really, really amazing. I went, I went is there, is, could I get me coach fare home? And they were, what? You want what? And I went, when well, I came up and did this gig for you, yeah, we sent you your fare. I went, you sent me the money to get here. I need to get home as well. Oh, no, we didn't say nothing about that. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I had to kind of go... Get Phil. I went, mate. You fucking. I need my bus fare home, and I was only looking for like eight quid for a coach fare back to Essex. They they called a meeting of the executive committee, <laughs> at, during which they were discussing my bus fare home. There was a fight. <laughs> a fucking riot broke out over my bus fare home. It's to this day one of the weirdest things. There was a lot of that. You do minors benefits, a lot of sleeping on floors, 
a lot of, you know... Um, and of course, there was that there was that whole thing of the eighties. You know, in terms of comedy gigs, as Porky the Poet, I started doing uh, one of the important things for getting me meeting comedians was uh, Roland Muldoon's uh, cast new variety circuit, mm -hmm. uh, um, which was a circuit in London of five gigs, and you'd do three one weekend and two the next weekend. So they book you for two consecutive weekends. You do three gigs one weekend, two the other, and there were gigs like the Old White Horse in Brixton, which is one of my favourite gigs to do. Uh, um, uh, the Cricklewood Hotel was another really... Mm -hmm. And you actually used to have to audition for them. And I've got... I found the other day, because I keep every shitty bit of paper that's ever been given to me during this job, and I got given a sheet of paper that's got a list of everyone that auditioned, and I auditioned for them the same day as Jeremy Hardy. Wow, so OK. I found that the other day. OK. So, yeah, yeah. So, so you were... Was there a moment when you decided, right, I'm not going to take any poems on stage with me? Yeah. Or well, there, there was a transitionary was... period in the late 90s where in Time Out, and you can, you can find it in Time Out, where I'm Phil Porky Jupiter. I thought, people aren't going to know who I am, so I better let them know that it's still me. <laughs> Which was so conceited. What a cock. <laughs> Phil Porky Jupiter, just in case any of the old Porky fans want to come out and I kind of just basically whittled away at the poems I just basically dropped a poem a week almost it was quite okay. methodical and I, I and the thing I can't remember the first time I never did a poem on I genuinely okay. can't remember okay. that and that would be my first stand-up gig but sure. I can't remember it and what was it that you what, what, what was it or is it that you get from a stand-up audience that's different to the reaction you get from a poem what, can you just quantify that because you're in a very unique position yeah. as a comic no it's the grammar of the evening the thing is with poems is there's a is there's a there's a there's a this poem is called and there's a start it's like a song it's a start and end point mm -hmm. whereas uh, stand up is a continuous narrative mm -hmm. it's weird it's because I have to like you heard me say to the poetry audience yesterday yeah I'm, I'm going to have to tell you where to clap because you don't know you're so used to seeing yes, of me course. in a free form situation you don't know when I finished because sure. the poems end but they're not that definite plus there more, are pauses bit, within them that you don't want them to yeah so you don't want the tension. You don't want to put people in a position of tension when you're performing to them. So, so I actually do a move when I'm doing poetry. If I finish a poem, I go da 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 da, -da and then I go, and that reverse is the end of the poem. And I have to tell For the benefit them that of the it. listener. Yeah. Uh, Phil just did a complicated dance. Yeah, that's really <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, have you seen Flatly? I kind of schooled it. <laughs> I just schooled Flatly on a podcast. Boom. Take that, Mikey. But, so, but, but what is it? So obviously the, the, the grammar of the evening yeah. is that's an interesting way of putting it. So, but yeah. in terms of what you get as a performer, do you find that you get a different oh, sense fuck, of satisfaction? Yeah. Because the thing that was exciting about um, stand-up was if you did uh, ad-lib and something worked and it, and it achieved uh, a momentum on the night. I used to compare a lot. I was a regular compare at the comedy store and... Uh, and Stan Nelson was the stage manager at the Comedy Store for between five and ten years in the uh, early to late 90s. And he went, you're a fucking twat, you. You're a fucking twat. And I went, what? He went, you, you burn material. I've never seen the like of it. You do stuff better than's in their sets and we never hear it again. I went, I'm talking to them. Mm. And, and, and I would never... I was very, I'm very happy to let go stuff that people could build a fucking career on. But 
it's because that's it's, you're having a night. I thought I don't know. So so that stuff that you let's look at you comparing the comedy store yeah. when you're having conversational yes. work. Or, you know, when you're what we call doing crowd work or you know. Well, that's what, that for weird you, thing is now it seems much more. There's a thing that's doing crowd work. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There's much more of a template now as yeah. to what you have to do. But the thing is, is that 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 that. That when I did it, it didn't feel like being a Butlin's red coat, which is I watch people work in crowds now sometimes, and it looks a sure. lot more like formulaic. There's quite a lot of start clapping there that, and spread it round the room. Where did that yeah. come yeah, from? Yeah, I yeah, fucking yeah. hate that. Yeah. Start clapping now, build it up, get louder. When I, in my day, I used to talk, finish talking, and go, we've got a great bill for you tonight. Uh, we've got five really, really good comedians, and we've also got an open spot as well, a bit of a treat for you to see someone new. The first thing that's coming in now is a brilliant comedian, a very good friend of mine. Please welcome to the stage so-and-so. And then you would clap. Now it's yeah. like, let's start the clapping here. You start the clapping, sir, then you build it up, then you build it up, then build it up, build it up. Let's have some clapping over there. Let's have some clapping here. Let's have some clapping. Yeah. In there, F fucking stop. And by the what time the act you? is halfway that to the mic, they're knackered. Weird. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss grow the fuck up people people know when to clap it's when you say ladies and gentlemen please welcome that'll do yeah start the clapping here that man is a clapping enough now I sound like little Howard yeah oh, ladies and gentlemen start your clapping now oh, I can't believe you did that full job with us oh that's wrong so, but in terms of the, the the stuff that you were saying that Stan said to you, you're yeah. uh, you're, you're burning this stuff. Yeah, was was, was that stuff that was arising purely conversationally, yeah. or yeah. was it? it was, were you going on with notes in your pocket of things you no, wanted to talk no. about? No, comparing. I, I, you genuinely can just a conversation. I'd always have like um, I'd have a little five minute bit. I would just break the act up into chunks and I would do moments of it. And then what would happen is, is if the evening went in a direction, you could refer, you could go on and go. We're back with you again, and then it was a bit chatty. There was this always this fascinating conceit with with compares, was that you weren't comedians, because people would come up and go, "You you were really good. You should do yeah. comedy." Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I am a comedian. You fucking, you know, people. Oh, that was great. Well, you do really funny. You should have a go at it, like your mates. You should try that. Just so many people I wanted to punch in the throat. <laughs> so were you? Uh, did you start as a compare and then no, move the thing, on no, to start, set? So what was that? What was the There was a brilliant, there was a marvelous moment. Um, uh, Mark Thomas and Kevin Day were really and uh, Skimp Video as well. Stephen Bryan were very instrumental in in me stopping being Porky and becoming Phil Jupiter because mm. they said 
And again, they were a bit like James. I said, you, you're really, really good. You should be doing like junglers in the store and that. There's gigs mm. out there where you can make a proper living, you, can, you know. And, uh, and I, was, I was like, all right. And so uh, Kev Day gave me um, uh, the comedy store number. He went, look, my, uh, a mate of mine, uh, um, Ali, is the stage manager there. You can speak to her or talk to Kim Kinney, who books the acts there. So why don't you phone the comedy store and see if, you know, you can get an open spot. And I went, and so I phoned up, and, um, you know, and it's like the... Hey, comedy store. And I'm like, oh, hello. Um, Kevin, Kevin Day gave me your number uh, to phone up to book an open spot. All right, what's your name? Um, I'm called Porky the Poet. We don't book poets. <laughs> And that was it. <laughs> that was it. They just, we don't book poets. And so, and, and that was another thing. So I've got to just start working under my real name. Okay. So when you did, when you did your first 20, were you going on and doing conversational stuff that you were used to when you were um, comparing? I, was, I, was, I had a or set. Or had you written? I, had a, I, had a, I worked out a set. I had a set. When Can I was you remember your opening and, line? No, uh, oh, got uh, two fat blokes walking to a pub. It was me and my dad. We had a great night. <laughs> <laughs> It still works. Fuck. So that that's back in. <laughs> hey, when you're my age, it's not old material. It's vintage. <laughs> and was it was it was it line, was it one-liners? Was it stories? What sort of um, thing? No, that, I got I got the thing is is that I got to uh, it got very. The thing is, I do something, and Stan said I can watch. Stan would say that you'd start a bit. He'd see me coming on the Thursday night with an idea, mm -hmm. and by the Saturday late show, that um, a one-liner had turned into five minutes. I remember there was, I did, in 1996, yeah, six, seven, I did a tour called Jedi Steady Go, and I did a show here at the Edinburgh Festival that was, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, Oh, no, yeah, was, this was Jedi Steady Go at Edinburgh, and then I did the Tour de Force. Jedi Steady Go was an hour of me just talking about Star Wars in 1996 mm. that I then took out on the road. And that whole show, the last time I did that show, Stuart, it was longer than the film. <laughs> I was just talking about the first film, <laughs> Star Wars, or if there's a nerd in the room, <laughs> you mean A New Hope, so... <laughs> Fuck's sake, you idiots. Star Wars, fucking Star Wars, you bellends. You mean Star Wars episode four and you... Phil, please, if I, if I may. Fuck off. Star Wars. I did a show about Star Wars, right? And, uh, yeah, the last time I did it, it was five minutes longer than the film. And it's just me okay. talking about the film. And had you... Had you and that started from in the dressing room. I was in the dressing room... Uh, uh, and there was a uh, time I was on, and Kevin Day was on, and we were in the dressing room, we were sitting around, and we were chit chatting. And I was there, and I, and I, I don't know how it happened. And Kevin said something, someone said, You're back, and I went, <laughs> And Kevin Day went, I dare you to do that on stage. Okay, okay. Three years later, I had a two hour, five minute show. <laughs> do not tell Kevin Day I said that, he will ask for money. How, uh... <laughs> Yeah. How many... How, did you do any writing on that show, or was it purely that you just um, had stuff to I, say the about... The other day, Did you have I a structure? Found, what did you no, do? I never wrote. It's always... It's the biggest weakness, and this, this is good to talk about this on the podcast, mate. My biggest weakness is none of it's written down. It's all 
remembered. Mm-hmm. I have notes with bullet points. I found the other, the other day I did find um, a, a pad, an A4 pad, and in it there's a running order for the Star Wars show. It was never recorded. It was never filmed. Uh, there's no record of it. Two hours of me just talking about Star Wars. I remember... I can't remember any of it. I just literally can't. I mean, I'm just really bad at remembering my own stuff and writing it down. I remember um, I'd quit stand-up for... God, I hadn't done stand-up in seven years. Andre Vincent came up to me and uh, he was like, oh, God, I saw an act the other night and they did this joke and he told me this joke and it was really, really fucking funny. I went, oh, God, who's that? And he went, you, you cunt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't, I've got a terrible memory. So if, you're, if your creative process then is less about writing and more about coming up yeah. with stuff, I need to be in front. It's in, interesting because this Edinburgh, with you coming up to me, yeah. uh, you've learned fundamental truths about yourself the more you do Edinburgh. And I hadn't done a stand-up. I did a, I did a show called Stand Down. I don't know if it was two or three years ago. I don't know if anyone out there... Or, the at The Stand. Was it two or three years ago, love? Was that the character? So hang on. Was that the year I did? Uh, it was two. No, it was two years ago because I did, I did um, stand down and the play. Did I do stand down and coalition? Yeah, I did stand down coalition ago. and Porky, and was also guesting on uh, Marcus Brigstock's thing as well. Yeah. So I was doing four shows a and day. And last year you did the three characters And last show. year I did, yeah. Okay, we'll get, to that, we'll get to that yeah, in a yeah, second. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, so, yeah, I did yeah, stand up that year. I can't even remember why we were talking about this. I was trying to remember. Um, from yeah. the perspective yeah. of uh, your creative process rather yeah. than writing. So, so, yeah, so the thing is, is so that show, that emerged quite naturally. And what happened was, was like, um, like I say in the stand-up show, um, uh, I hadn't done stand-up in nearly ten years and then um, a television product, Tiger Aspect, said, we're doing a show called Comedy Exchange where we get two stand-ups and we're going to swap countries with them. And so we're going to oh, bring yeah, Eugene okay. Merman over here to do gigs and then you can go to New York and do his gigs. Now, so I, and I say to them, I haven't done stand-up in ten years. And they go, brilliant, we can follow the process of you coming up with a new 20. And I'm and I like, yeah, fuck it, all right. If you're going to take me to New York, I can see some baseball. So it's me down at the fucking ground. <laughs> And so I, I kind of grasped that nettle, as it were. And uh, Eugene came over here. Eugene had a really tough time. Mm. I went to America because you go to America, you go, Hi, uh, my name's Phil Jupiter, I'm from London. Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Thank you! They're happy. Thanks for coming. Oh, my God, this guy's come from London all the way to entertain us. Isn't that lovely? Eugene goes on here in Edinburgh. Hi, I'm Eugene Merman. Fuck off! <laughs> American twat! <laughs> That's just a fundamental difference either side of the Atlantic. I might, just, I might just interject. Pegs, you might want to take those headphones out, mate. <laughs> I'm worried about blood coming I, at I, you. I, I, <laughs> I've got technique, Stu. <laughs> so, yeah, poor Eugene had a fucking shocking yeah. old time and I had a riot in New York and, and that's when I did the set that became the show that I did in Edinburgh gotcha. that year. Okay. But that's the first time I've ever had sat down and thought, I have to write an hour. And and so, so were you doing that then? Were you sitting... Um, yeah, I just what I did was, was um, you have to, I have to... The way that I wrote the act before was always just by performing and remembering, performing and remembering. And so when you have, actually have to write, the problem with me and when I try to write comedy is I look at it on the page and it dies. 
when I read words, I'm like, I can't see the life in them. So I need to be, it's really weird being in there. If I'm in front of a room full of people, a different bit of your brain clicks in and you think, right, how can I make it work and how can I make them laugh? And so it's a bit like when I was doing the Bolivian Council thing. I just knew how to tilt that. If I read that out flat, you wouldn't laugh, but I knew how to tilt it to make you laugh. It's a really, when you think about it, it's quite scary that you have that skill to do that and you don't know how it works. Mm. Yeah. I, I, if I knew how it worked, the thing is I'm so I'm admiring of, like, Lee Evans. Lee Evans is a mate of mine. And the fact that he, every two years, can just sit down and can just go... And build a show. And he has that process, he's there. And he starts, he starts by... He writes 20s. And he gets a 20 and he locks a 20 and he does another 20, he locks a 20, does another 20, locks a 20, like spends a week. Then he's got an hour, then another 20, then another 20. So he's got an hour and a half. And then he tours the hour and a half in little theatres, 100 seaters. Then when that hour and a half is solid, he jumps that up to 1,500, to things. And he builds, 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 builds the size of room and he builds the size of set. Hmm. And then bang, it's in arenas and you're off and running. I'm so fucking jealous of that because I couldn't do that. I have no idea how you write comedy. But if I'm in a room full of people, you give me enough time and I get to read the room. And the funny thing is, is I'll bail on a room. I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll look, just go, nope. <laughs> okay. Sometimes. I did, I did a gig. Uh, I did, there's a festival called Funny in Falkirk that um, Karen currently runs a Gilded Balloon she phoned me up, she said, would you like to do this gig? It's called Funny and Falkirk. And uh, she offered me a chunk of change to do it. And then when the second email came through, she offered me slightly less of a chunk of change. And I'm like, it was one and a half grand a minute ago. No, it's a grand. Oh, shut up. All right, that's terrible. <laughs> um, but fuck it, I went anyway, because it's, it's a night out in Falkirk. You've been paid. And I went to do it, and here's how badly organised this gig was, was they let uh, uh, punters fuck around with the lighting desk during the show. Yeah, yeah. That's humour in Falkirk. Seriously, in the middle of the act, there was a blackout and then the disco lights came on and then that. And it's because they couldn't be bothered to... There was no security, there was no stage management. The people that organised the gig were both drunk. One of them, I feel very sorry for the man, he'd, he'd had a personal tragedy recently and he was having a pretty bad time. Uh, but he was, he was not there, he was not in the room. He was, like, he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you, you go on and do your thing. And... Uh, the fact that, that you've been doing this for so long, you still let shit things still happen. And I went on at that room, and I, I, and I was doing that, and some bloke from the back... It's when they go, you're not funny! And then they kind of go, ooh! And then the thing is, is sometimes I go, I'm like, you know what, you're not even worth a heckle put down. I went, OK, cool, uh, I'm going to do three poems and leave. And that's what I did. I just slipped into the bang! I just went, bang! Fuck you, Falkirk! And I just did some poems and left, because uh, they weren't worth it. So when you, I mean, it, that's interesting. Obviously, that's a really extreme. I was so annoyed that That's night. a really extreme example I, I, of a game. I, I will, I will, I will, I will fucking just do that. You have to understand. I've been booed off at the Royal Albert Hall. I have no fear of any room. <laughs> I've had some of the worst fucking shows. I've uh, the, my first ever gig in the first, April the twenty seventh, nineteen eighty five, was the first day I came to Scotland. My first ever gig in Scotland. Have we, we've got people from uh, Scots. Show of hands, please. Scots. Scots. Show of hands. Four. Weak. 
mimsy fucking southern twats. Make room for the locals, will you? So, um, the, my first ever gig, and this is just addressed to you three, my first ever gig in Scotland, April the 27th, I've never ever gigged in Scotland, I've never been to Scotland, my first gig, what venue? Think of the worst place I could play. Hey? Bannermans, yeah, you're stretching there, sweetheart. In Scotland, worst venue. A, a young English lad. Barrowlands. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the correct reaction, sir. My first gig in Scotland was Barrowlands, Glasgow Barrowlands, where, um, what was the murderer who used to go there called? There was a murderer. Hey, Bible John. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> Fucking Bible John is a venue that had its own murderer. <laughs> For fuck's sake. I did a half-hour set in 12 minutes at Barrowlands. <laughs> and I came off stage shaking and I burst into tears. And Bragg comes up to me and goes, don't worry, Porky, that's just the noise they make. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, so, and, and the, the Royal Albert Hall, I did the Royal Albert Hall. Harvey Goldsmith, you, have you seen my live video, Quadrophobia? No, I haven't, I haven't seen okay, it. Okay, I did a video called Quadrophobia, and I'll stand by that. I think it's a fucking solid show, right? I did that, and uh, Harvey Goldsmith came the night it was recorded, and it was a really good night at the Apollo in Chelsea Avenue, and we had a great, great time. And afterwards, Harvey Goldsmith comes up to me and went, would you like to do one of my Teenage Cancer Trust gigs? And I went, yeah, all right, okay, that sounded like fun. I get an email from him later. I'm, I'm on with The Who. You, you know the rock band, The Who, from the 60s? <laughs> I'm on with them. An advert appears in the paper. It's the Teenage Tran Cancer Trust. The Who, Paul Weller, Noel Gallagher, Phil Jupiter. So I'm like, spot the wrong name on that list. <laughs> and I, I, I assume that I'll be comparing or something, introducing the other acts on the bill. No. There's a Who concert with Paul Weller singing and playing with them, and Noel Gallagher singing and playing with them, Eddie Vedder from fucking Pearl Jam <laughs> singing with them, and, uh, and, and uh, Goldsmith goes, no, I want you to do the interval. So there's a Who concert for an hour and 20 minutes that they conclude with Won't Get Fooled Again, which finishes... Bow! 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 Townsend is windmilling. Noel Gallagher's playing with him. He's got a Les Paul. Don't you swing in the microphone. Bow! Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Jupiter. I would have booed me off. <laughs> you so, know you've died when Roger Daltrey's leading you off stage going, don't worry, son, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> Thank you, Roger Daltrey. <laughs> so I want to... I want to look... And we've got to have one eye on the time here, but I want to... Um, I want to look at the, the process by which you like select the stuff that you talk about. Because if you don't have a, write, yeah. a sit down writing no. process, how do you know? Do you feel that there are certain subjects or tropes that you keep coming back to? Do you, um, do you spot things and go, that's the sort of thing I talk about? No, the, it, oh, it's, it's odd this. Um, it's, it's, what happens is, is you get a rough shape of stuff that you're up for talking about. 
And then through the talking about it, other stuff emerges. So what happened was, was I came up, I had a very interesting experience uh, um, that I talked to Josh Howie about, which is I did, there's, there's several gigs in the UK that are fake great gigs. And there's on. one in Leicester that is brilliant. I could go in there and just talk to them for an hour and they'd carry me out shoulder high and make me the mayor. And if you do one of those keys, you think, oh, great, I've got an Edinburgh show. No, you haven't. <laughs> You've just been avuncular with people in Leicester. That's a very different thing. And so I had a really good first preview. Okay. And then, thankfully, the next night, oh, the death. <laughs> really bad one. So I, I, if I'm not in front of a crowd doing it, so I need to talk. And what happens is, is the show takes shape. I, if, I, if I had on my run-up period for a stand-up show, to get it good, mm -hmm. seriously, Stu, should be... Um, th three months of intensive gigging, and then at the end of that three months, I'll have a really fucking good hour, hour and a half. And do you do you get more out of? It sounds like you get more out of the gigs where it's going well and they're responding. I think it's a lot. A lot of things stand up yeah. say is, oh, you learn yeah. you learn more from the tough gigs. No, you but I don't. Think... You just learn that you hate people. Yeah. <laughs> so for you, what you need is to find yeah. gigs whereby not, they'll roll what over, I like and, is, and that will help it's fire the, you. Rolling over seems a touch. It's the gigs where. They're with you and they yeah. get it. Rolling yeah. over, that's, that's no, an well, interesting I mean, frame. What I mean is, if you walk into, like, I know when you say fake great gigs, yeah, like yeah. those sort of rooms where you yeah. just go, they're so up for it. Actually, yeah. for you, even though, even though you're saying well, it's useful that the next night the death actually made you realise, thank God, but you, it sounds like the way you generate material, the more up for it they are, the more stuff you'll walk yeah, away with yeah. at the end of the night because yeah. you'll have told that many stories. I kind of, been... that, that, that whole um, way of things happening accidentally is why I did the character show. Why so, well, I, let's talk yeah. about that because that, I, I wish I'd seen that because it sounds fascinating. Yeah. You do three different characters yeah. who that, were... That, again, that was, that was an ACMS thing. What happened was... Okay. Okay, let's talk about the first time I went to ACMS... Um, Tom Tuck, who I was in coalition with, uh, he went, you must come and do ACMS. And I thought, oh, God, that would be lovely, yeah. And I went. And I went to this evening, and, it, and I thought, this will be a comedy night. And I went, and it was a comedy night. But um, uh, Bridget Christie came on, dressed as a donkey, <laughs> and sang all, lip-synced all of War by Edwin Collins, the entire track, dressed as a donkey and dancing, carrying guns. And then she did, after doing all of lip-syncing Edwin Collins' war, huh, what is it good for? And if you do that for 30 seconds at the beginning of a set, you get it. She did the whole three minutes and 20 seconds and then said, hello, I am a war donkey, and then did the war donkey thing, which was just, I'm like, what's that? And then some lads come on and do the Pride of Britain Awards that they've made up and everyone in the audience gets a bounty, and they just decide what people have won a Pride of Britain award for, and they just work their way through the whole crowd. You are the kindest person in Britain to kittens! Pride of Britain award! And give them a bounty. And that, that, that worked their way through the whole crowd. Uh, I, there was just a number of different things, and the more I sat there and watched it, I went, I can't go on and talk about who my daughter is or isn't sleeping with. This is not that room. <laughs> Which, that for the sake of context... <laughs> She's here. If anyone's seen that Live at the Apollo bit, the daughter I talk about in Live at the Apollo is in the room tonight, so... Hello, love. Um, <laughs> thanks, by the way. You've made me thousands. Um, <laughs> and really... And indeed, yeah. Yeah, it seems a fair trade, doesn't it, really? 
me publicly calling you a whore. Um, <laughs> seriously, she's got a lot of money out of me. I, won't, I don't, don't feel bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's that... that that um, what happened was, so I did ACMS and, I, and I, I was there and I thought, I can't fucking go on and just do stand-up. No one has gone on, people have done weird, weird shit. And so I just walked onto the stage and I thought, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? And I went, I went, hello, um, I am a hologram from the future of Phil Jupiter who died in 30 years' time. And I can answer any questions about Phil Jupiter's life between now and in 30 years' time when he died. And I did 40 minutes of just questions. We okay. discussed many things. When I was Chancellor. <laughs> my first trip to the moon. And I just, I just did that, and I made shit up. And it was just like... It was, it was that. It was that. And coming to Edinburgh the year before and mm. doing stand-up again and a play and doing Porky again. I did three... Quite demanding shows, and did other, and it was just like it was just like creatively just kicking yourself right up the arse, um, and yeah, yeah, that given, was the start of it. Given how hard you work and how much stuff you produce, it's, it would seem from the outside like you're just relentless in terms of uh, your creativity and the the amount of work you put in. Do you like? Are you somehow kind of bulletproof against the, the fears of, of coming up with stuff? That, no, the thing is, is that, that I've, I've came up with this analogy for it. I'm like, I'm like, why am I so comfortable with what I do? And the thing is, is I've just downsized everything. I'm fully aware that it's just, you know... The, the, the 18 months I spent on Twitter was really interesting because it's like, oh, my God, so many people hate me. It was like, wow. And I'm quite vitriolic about it. I'm like, and I thought, and the thing is, is the reason I quit Twitter, and it's not because like, I, I can't deal with it, it was what I didn't like was having to be in work mode when I was at home. Yeah. It was like, what Twitter is, I said it's like, my analogy was there were two things I said about Twitter. Firstly, Twitter is like leaving your front door open and just hoping cunts won't walk in. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Twitter is the world's biggest toilet and everybody has a Sharpie. That's all it is. You know what? You would ignore 95% of the shit written about you online if you could see the handwriting of the people doing it. <laughs> just because it's in Helvetica doesn't mean it's more valid. You know that the computer has corrected the spelling. <laughs> Seriously, I found... The other day, I bought an album on, on eBay... Uh, I collect, uh, there's, a, there's a record called Do It Yourself by Injury and the Blockheads that is um, a brilliant album. And there are, 30, there are 34 different sleeves to this album, one album. And there are 34 different versions of the cover, and I've got 32 of them. And so I've got two more to get. One is from Spain and one is from Israel. Not a lot of hope there. So, um, and one of them I bought and I got it. And I thought, oh, my God, this has been scrawled on in Biro. Hmm. And on Biro is written on it, this... Spelt correctly, album spelt ablum is a waste, W A S T, waste of money, M U N Y. And I thought, oh my God, the trolls are being spell checked and they're in a nice font, and that's why people think it's real. Just because you see what some cunt says under Barack Obama, it seems more valid, and do it's you, not. 
Do you think that you react more than other people, other comedians who are on Twitter and put oh, up no, with I'm that not sort on, of... I just stopped. No, I, I mean, when, when you were... Stopped when I was. No, I didn't react at all. I was just like... I was just kind of slightly, what, what the fuck, dude? I'm just... Yeah. You know, I did a thing... I did a thing for a laugh on Twitter. It seems so facile. I did a thing called Tom's on Toast when I was on Twitter. <laughs> oh, my God, some people here remember it. Where, where what I did was, as we were chatting about favourite lunches on Twitter, and Twitter's lovely. The reason that celebrities took to Twitter is because what we had was chit-chat. Celebrities don't do chit-chat, and suddenly we had, like, being at work and talking to people, and it was really lovely, because you just chat to people about shit. And I, and I was doing the chatting to people about shit. It was really good fun. And then someone said, Tom's on toast, and someone said, well, Napolina is better than, better than fucking uh, Waitrose Organic. And then I said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a blind test of every single kind of tin tomato I can find. I think I did... Did I do about 36? <laughs> I did about 36 different varieties of tin tomato on toast. And the hate I got <laughs> for just trying tomatoes on toast. What are you doing? Tell us about your lunch, you cunt! <laughs> OK. And that was, that was one of the things that made me... St and the thing is, I didn't quit. I just stopped. Because normally mm. when people quit Twitter, they, their last tweet is, that's it, Twitter. I'm going. Yeah, it's been real. <laughs> and I just stopped. I think the last tweet, if you look on my Twitter feed, the last tweet is a photo of me and Joe Strummer that I put up. Um, Billy Bragg said, go back to Twitter, it's great. And I went back and I, I put that thing up to Joe Strummer and they were like, Four kind of fuck off you fat cunts, and I thought, yeah, no, they're still there, um, and uh, it's just it's just just so wearing, and so um, and what's happened is is I know a lot of people that were on Twitter a lot spend more of their time on Facebook now, which, as I describe it, the backstage of Twitter is now yeah. Facebook, yeah, and that's where people hang out. So, it's the green room. So are you that that negativity that you experience on Twitter? What I'm getting at is, do you impose any of that negativity on yourself about any aspect of what you create? No. Almost everyone I speak no. to has no. had, it, it, and this isn't me trying to convince yeah. you that no, you're secretly no. unhappy, but um, almost everyone I speak to who's a creative person, not everybody, yeah. but most people have like long dark nights of the soul where they think, go, I "What is this? You, what am I doing?" If you don't have self-doubt, you're not human. I think that's the nature of it because you question constantly. It's like, you know, you can't... You, you, it, people that are constantly sure of themselves are cunts. <laughs> That's Tories. <laughs> this is the way of doing things. This is right, and this is how things work. The nature of a human is that you question yourself and go, mm. is that right? Should I be doing that? Is this the right thing to do? Questioning is what makes us human. Knowing that, yes, this is how life should be is... So, so how do you apply that to your work? Do you make stuff and question whether it's good enough? Constantly. I mean, do you... Otherwise, you're a fucking idiot. And how do you Otherwise. overcome that, given that you produce such a massive volume of work in so many hundreds going, of different media? What happens is, is uh, you just have to keep going. And it's like, you have, it's like the first four fucking gigs I had of this fringe, the, the stand show, mm. were just nightmarish. What I've done... Is that I've uh, the poetry show for this year was written by October last year. That was a lock. I knew that I wanted to do the art project with the National Gallery of Scotland. That was fine, and that was just me doing drawings every day for three hours, and I was very happy to do that. And then there was the stand-up show that I left a little bit late. So it's early July, and I'm writing my stand-up show for Edinburgh for 30 days' time. And I'm kind of putting it together. 
and it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of coming together, you know. And and then I have the good one in Leicester, then I have the bad one mm. in Gravesend, and you know, some good, some bad. Some it's like it's fifty fifty, but it's building, it's getting its shape, and then by the time of the last previews, it's it's there, it's there. You've got it, you found it. And then the first four shows at the Stand Five were sold out because I'm off the telly and I'm doing a 68-capacity room. And so I'm off the telly and so that will sell out. And the whole run sold out almost before I got up here. First time that's ever happened. But I'm doing an egg box. So that's natural enough. And the first four audiences, that's four days of 68 people looking at me with the face that you have just before you go through a windscreen. (laughs) (laughs) I shit you not, silence and people staring at me and at the end a clap like a batsman that has got a creditable 17 and then he's dismissed and 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 did that ever cause you to think what was your emotional reaction to that did you go I was like, i've got no, to get I the show it's better interesting it was or like did it no hurt? it was like what for fuck's sake what's i was like angry and yeah. then what i did was i just said i what i do is I then externalise. What I do is... And the way I deal with the problem is to put the problem out there. I say, hi, this show has died on its fucking hole for the last four days. And so I've re- I'm trying to work out what's wrong with it. So I think it's on too early in the day because it's very, very adult. I'm talking about a lot of quite dark stuff. So, hey, get ready for that. Now, um, it'd probably be better if you were drunk, but it's quarter to two in the afternoon, so that is quite unlikely, even though I came to Scotland. Let's face facts. So... Let's come on. Let's let's see what we get. Let's pretend we're enjoying it. And I just have to kind of tell them, mm. externalise it. And once I did that, and and made them co-opted them into the whole fact mm. that this was a show that was on a, an inappropriate time yeah. and was also quite demanding in terms yeah. of its content. I had to externalise that. And so, and whenever I have a bad time, I talk about that bad time. I remember once doing the comedy store and really having a, as a compare. And they just was died on its ass, and I and in the middle of it dying, I went, "Wow, this is odd because normally this goes quite well." And they, and I went, "No, no, no, no point in heckling me, mate, because it's already a bad gig. I don't need you to to add to that." And I kind of took control. I went, "So you don't like me? So fuck it, I don't care about it. What I'm going to do is bare minimum." And then and I turned that gig round, but I got angry with them. I said, "No, don't laugh, don't fucking laugh at me," and it got really, really weird. And I will do that. I will have extraordinarily uncomfortable nights at the cost of everybody's fun. (laughs) Life is so unbelievably short, and this is such a privilege to do this for a living. And it's like, you have to understand, I was a civil servant for five years, and then I started being a poet, and, oh, my God, you know, people that I loved wanted to work with me. It doesn't, you know, I fucking, when I was on Twitter, Mike McKean from Spinal Tap, sent me a message, went, I've been watching you online on QI. You're one of the funniest men I know. That is a bloke from Spinal Tap. And yet, why should I be affected by some cunt from Biddeford going, your shit, (laughs) when the bloke from Spinal Tap likes me? Terry Gilliam likes me. Neil Innes from the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. I was in the fucking Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. (laughs) Suck my balls. (laughs) Hey, trolls. Paul Weller took me on tour. Billy Bragg took me on tour. The House Martins took me on tour. People I love work with me. Fucking Bill Bailey likes me. Mark Lamar likes me. You think I give a flying fuck 
what some anonymous twat thinks about me. No, I fucking don't. <laughs> mindful, mindful of the fact we're already overrunning. Bob, are we, we've got, oh, to, Robert, we've got to wrap we up. We apologise. Uh, okay, well, I just know that you've got a show on next, Bob, and I don't want to oh, take your time. No, no. We're eating into Bob's time. However, I now. just... Finish on a song! Hello, my baby! Hello, my honey! We're not, we're not finishing on a song. There is one thing that I'd just like to push you on slightly, which yeah. is that, from what you've just said, you... From what you've just said, you are, you know, you have had these incredible situations, you've had these incredible uh, opportunities, yeah. and you've deserved them. And these people have, you know, people who have always been heroes to yeah. you have, have, you know, have liked your stuff and told you how great yeah. you were. You do, well, while you were giving that impassioned and very positive speech, there is certainly a lot of anger still in there. And yeah, I oh, wonder yeah, yeah. whether, I, I mean, it sounds like you, you haven't resolved that kind of anger. Well, does, does one need to resolve? I don't think you need to resolve anger. Do you need to resolve it? No. Do you? I think you need to cling on to a bit of it. It keeps, it's what fucking makes you alive, doesn't it? Being angry about things. I'm not joking. Today I started talking about Thatcher during my uh, stand-up set and I escalate into the point where... If, and one, uh, uh, during my stand-up today, I said, if she was alive now, I'd find her and kill her myself. <laughs> I'm not joking. That, uh, uh, the, uh, the, those three cunts, Blair, and I include Blair, Blair, Cameron and Osborne, are her children and are fucking the, the nation in which we are and the world we're in. They've made it a worse place. And, and that's because they know how things should be. They agree to a certain order. The fact that um, um, the big society, uh, that was... Very, they're very shrewd, aren't they? The big society was uh, Cameron trying to co-op socialism uh, with a with a fake idea. Yeah, we're all in this together. That's Toryism trying to co-op socialism. They don't know what socialism is. They don't know what people are. They certainly don't know what being poor is. He has got. It's interesting. Martin Rosen, who's the cartoonist on the Guardian, said that if David Cameron was serious about wanting to take charge of this country, he could win every election for the rest of his life if he gave the country his personal wealth. If he went, right, have my money and I'll look after you. If he did that, he'd win every election for the rest of his life. And Rosen said that to... Uh, and, and the guy looked, said that to one of um, Cameron's personal assistants who looked at him like he was a madman. But it's fucking true. If he did something like that, he could. But he wouldn't because the, the core of it is greed and we've got more than you and we keep what we've got and we know how the place works. Fuck them. Fuck the world. There's a better world out there and I'm still striving for it and that's why I'm still angry. So, so then, Phil. I've got no fucking answers. I should mitigate that. I should mitigate that. I've got no solutions. I've just got a lot of rage and questions. <laughs> and I think most people have. That's we don't know the answers and we've just got a lot of anger and questions and that's what being fucking alive is. There's a better way of doing things. And... Yeah, um, well, you know, it's your country. Have at it. Have a laugh. The date's coming up. It's a couple of weeks away. And, and to be honest, I, I've heard some people talking. That whole cycle up at the Festival Theatre of those James plays is basically a fucking 12-hour political broadcast for Scottish independence, and they make a good fucking case. And so it's one of those things, you know. It's, it's like people say, oh, how would you vote? I went, we've got independence, and it's old Etonians, and it sucks balls. Try something else. So, Phil, last question, because we must, we must wrap yeah. up. 
Um, and I'm sorry, I've meant to sort of move to the audience to get questions, but we, we've, we've done over yeah, time and it's been yeah. brilliant. So thank you I for coming. I knew that I would overrun. I'm so <laughs> sorry. That's totally fine. The last question then is, given that rage, given that passion, given that in, emotional investiture in the political process, yeah. why are you doing jokes about Star Wars and about your daughter's no, sex life? No, um, no, because the poetry, the poetry is... The politics is in the poetry. Gotcha. The passion's in the poetry. And also, I've got no answers. I stopped polemicising a long time ago. But that doesn't mean that I, uh, I relinquish my right to be cross. I will always retain my right to be angry about the way the world is. I don't have solutions, and I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say that I do have them. But I certainly reserve the right to be fucking cross with cunts that think they have got the answers. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Phil Jupiter. <laughs> So that was Phil. Thanks very much to him for coming along. Really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, thank you to Bob Slayer and Misbehave and all of the staff at the bookshop. Thank you to you guys for donating. You can still do that. You can pay us a pound a show or whatever you think is most appropriate. Uh, remember the people who pay for it, pay for the people who can't, just like uh, Bob and Misbehave's fabulous free fringe endeavours. Um, so uh, you can do that if you'd like by going and clicking at the PayPal donation button at comedianscomedian.com. You know how to get in touch with me by now. Info at comedianscomedian to email me and request people or questions or what have you. And you can also tweet at comcompod. Thanks very much to Louise McKinnon, to Pete Jones, to James Peggs Lowry. And this episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. I'm going to rush off, jump in the shower and see... No, I'm going to jump in the shower, then rush off and see Tony Law with my small friend. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.